Welcome to Growing Your Team, a podcast designed for small business owners seeking to grow their company with the help of employees and contractors. Your time is limited, which means growing and leveraging teams is essential for business success. The Growing Your Team podcast is the place to learn tips and techniques designed to help you know when it's the right time to hire, how to select perfect fit team members, and how to maximize productivity while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kuyk. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest, Shell Vila. Shell is the founder, CEO, and visionary of Rabbit of Visual Caffeine. Shell is not just the CEO, but also the visionary rabbit behind her agency, where authenticity is paramount and clients are challenged to take a brand and journey that pushes them to dig deeper and get a little bit uncomfortable. It's through this creative process that the true essence of a client's brand is uncovered and they can really find their identity, which is the core of all great marketing. For over 22 years, Shell has worked exclusively through her branding agency to help clients find their voice in an overly saturated marketing realm. Shell resides in Seattle with her husband and daughter in college and their zoo of dogs, cats, and fish. When she isn't in her dedication to elevate small businesses, she enjoys movies, reading, working on personal fine art, and writing. Today, Shell and I are talking all about working with remote team members, mostly contractors, but a little bit about employees. And I am so excited to share this conversation with you because Shell and I started talking in November, October-ish of 2020 about her coming on the podcast. Yes, that wasn't a mistake that I just said. It was the fall of 2020 that we started talking about getting her on the podcast. But life happens. We had to reschedule, then reschedule again, then reschedule again on both sides. But we finally had this conversation that I am dying to share with you. So you can learn all about how she's grown her agency over the last 22 years with remote team members and get inspired to lead your own remote team as you grow your own business. Because as anything in the last two years has taught us, businesses don't need to be 100% in-house to be successful. In many places, remote work is the way of the future. So you are most likely going to have all remote team members or part of your team be remote in order for you to be successful and get the right people on your team. So let's jump into the conversation with Shell and learn all about remote team members. Hi, Shell. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate you giving this space to be here. Yes. Can you kick us off with telling everybody a little bit about yourself and your business? been in my business, Visual Caffeine, for over 24 years. We actually are hitting 24 years, so to speak, this year. I uh, started it just a few years out of college. And um, so I was in my uh, mid-20s and and in the middle of the uh, web boom at the time. So uh, 
I grew a marketing and branding company um, to my own manageable size uh, over over the period of time. And I um, have maintained being a virtual company even back then. And yeah, that's it. Awesome. Yeah. So you've been running a business for well over 20 years. And obviously from what you said, you're not doing it all on your own. So tell us about the journey that you've taken to grow the team that you have today. So when I started my company, it was me just solopreneur and I started running into where I needed capabilities that were not obviously something I could provide, even though I was a very multi um, ability person. I was a designer. Uh, I had a lot of um, mentorship and marketing and such. And so I did all I could do, but there was, you know, points where I needed someone that was a little higher tech or I needed an illustrator or things like that. And so that was where I started because I'm like, well, a lot of companies, they go into just hiring these people, but I was such a small, you know, P I just needed people for project basis. And what I learned from that journey was that was the best way that I could serve the clientele that I wanted to serve. I needed to keep budget small. Um, and it allowed me to grow my team, have a variety of writers, uh, tech people, illustrators, as well as other designers um, to come together and have a regular relationship with them, an ongoing one, but then be able to have the versatility to take on much larger projects. Because um, in that time period, I did do work for larger corporations like uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and, and things of that nature. So it did require me to even expand my team much greater than I would for like a small business. Um, but over that period of time, though, I did see where I needed regular staff people. And so I brought those people on um, at about, oh gosh, that didn't happen until about 10 years ago. Wow. That was going to be my next question. If you're all contractors or if you have employees as well. Yes. Yes. I have my, um, I have my few regular staff and that's more for more marketing assisting and um, admin side of things. I tried to hold off as long as I could for a regular staff, but it really having the continuity and also having my customers even have other people other than me to deal with served to be a really important part of me just gaining some sanity and all demands coming on me um, and me being the content continuit of Everby. Um, it allowed me to break that apart. Yes. Yeah. I think it's, it's always so interesting. It's scary hiring your very first employee. Like, let's be honest. Cause as you said, like, you know, when you're hiring contractors, they come on, they can help with projects. That project is done. There's nothing else to come. You're like, okay, well, we'll talk again in two months when the next thing comes down, but here you have a, an employee and you have to give them a paycheck and pay them, you know, for their work, no matter if there's work coming in or not, if you want to keep them a part of your team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, um, that is this kind of my, my, my difficulty in it was, oh my gosh, I, uh, I am responsible for their income because, you know, a contractor, if you don't have the, if you don't have the work they're they're getting their work from multiple avenues, but there is this pressure when you have a regular person and it's kind of like a part of their, their ability to 
you know, feed their families or do certain things in their life is dependent on your business thriving. That is like a whole thick responsibility right there. It is. It is. And it's just part of the thing that comes with running a business and growing that business is it's a scary step, but you have to do it like for certain roles. Like it makes sense. Like you said about 10 years ago. So 14 years in before you really start hired that employee, but it was a step you had to make in order to continue growing the business that you wanted. Exactly. And, and a huge part of it was that trap of the business owner and, you know, us putting on ourselves to do so many varying different things that our time really was wasted in doing. And that, that was kind of the light bulb that went off in my head where it's like, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I am better off spending my time doing. Uh, and I could have regular people just handling this stuff and I wouldn't have to do it. And it opened a much larger uh, opportunity and world for me as far as growing my business. Yes. So I just want to take a second for you listening, just to kind of repeat back, like uh, what Shell said was once again, like she was kind of the bottleneck of being able to grow the business because she was holding on too much. And that relates back to uh, two guest episodes ago, episode 111 with uh, Rebecca Kay. We were talking about how as the business owner, you end up being the bottleneck of your business. You stunt it from growth. And also the last guest episode with Veronica Romney. Once again, we talked about how most business owners end up being the bottleneck in their business and stunt it from growth. So this is a great theme that everyone's bringing on. And once again, you need to get out of your own way. You can grow the business you want, whatever size that is, but if you want it bigger than you, you need to step out of your own way and you need to let other people in to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and it, it, it's interesting you put it that way. Cause, uh, I, outside of my visual caffeine business, I started, um, I've started coaching, uh, clients, um, and, uh, business owners because of there is, there is a mindset we can, when we start businesses that we kind of get stuck in. And I think some of it is this, you know, solopreneurism that we just, we, we try to do everything and, and we're trying to learn everything and we're, and we get in this mindset of trying to control everything. Yes. And, and we think that we're going to magically somehow, you know, um, grow our businesses or we get stuck in this, you basically, they, they've created a job for themselves, not a business. And um, part of that, part of that uh, work I do with them is to get them to claim that they're CEOs. Because when you claim that, you, you really shift your mindset in, you know, how you really should be approaching your business. And part of that is delegation um, and really seeing yourself as a leader. Yes. And I think it's so important. Like you use the word control. And I feel like sometimes control gets such a bad rap, like this negative, this negative connotation of it. Like you're kind of like the puppet master of things and you're, and stuff like that. But Control just kind of means you're in charge. You have the authority and the responsibility of stuff that's going on, but it doesn't, control doesn't mean you have to do it. You can be in control of what gets done. You can be in control of ensuring your team members are meeting expectations and hitting client needs and all that stuff without you doing it. So yes, you need to delegate and you can still have control when you delegate and And you probably end up with sometimes more control because you have more time. So you have a better ability to ensure things are being done correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and that's where, you know, the the scary things like processes and all sorts of things, but those things really do help. And 
um, ensure that there is a quality control happening. And that's like the, the fear when you are a small business and you um, love working with other small businesses, of course, and you, you love, you love your clients. You have such a passion for me. You think that someone else taking care of them, they could never do it as well as you. I actually had some wisdom given to me um, by my mother in a opposite manner. We, my parents owned businesses when I was growing up and my mother said to me, oh, I, it's just easier for me just to do this myself than explain to someone else how to do it. And I was like, I, w- I was like, well, that's messed up. I said, if you just spent the time to teach someone to do it, then they'll just do it. And then you don't even have to worry about it. So it was like, she was, she was actually less than what not to do. <laughs> and I right. saw her just drive herself crazy trying to do all the things. Cause she felt like no one could do it as well as her. Yeah. And it is one of those things you touched on. It's like, you train someone to do it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And it's not like, yes, it might take you longer to explain how to do it than to actually do it that one time. But typically it's not a task that has to only be done one time. It needs to be done again and again and again, and mm-hmm. you can step out of it completely. Exactly. You can actually let it go. <laughs> right? All right. But I want to circle back to contractors because obviously you've built your business while you do have a staff. Now contractors are part of the core of your business and the, uh, really allow you to serve your clients and create the, the products and services and everything that you're delivering to them. So let's talk a little bit more about contractors. And one of the things that you had said and talking about, it's like, okay, a project ends, there's nothing coming up. Like you don't, you don't have to worry about it. Cause they have other people that they're working with as well. And I know sometimes for business owners, well, yes, that's the, that's the thing of contractors. They have other clients. It's also that scary thing because then people think, but what if they don't have time for me? I need to keep, keep this time of theirs because this time is mine, whether it's certain time per week or month or stuff like that. They don't want to have a project and have it not be able to get done because all of a sudden that contractor is busy. So have you ever had to deal with that where there's a conflict with the contractors because they don't have time because of other projects? And if so, how do you deal with that? Or if you haven't had that, how that issue, how do you make sure that you have the contractors when you need them in order to do the work that needs to get done? So on that note, that was actually something that I, I learned very quickly because I did, of course, have that very early on. I had an illustrator. I absolutely loved his style and, you know, I would bring him on and he's just like, I am too busy. And I had a project that needed to be done. And when, um, and of course with an illustrator, you're, you're dependent on their particular style. It's just like a writer or anybody else. And, um, with that said, when I hit that situation, what that made me learn was, okay, I not only need to have really good relationships with contractors, but I need to have a multiple, like a, a many of them in a variety of what their styles are, as well as similarity in their styles. So um, I will say writers have been one of the um, the most prevalent throughout the years of um I'm sorry. I love you writers, but I've had some writers that are super flighty. <laughs> they just did not have, you know, they, they, they just had a bad day or whatever. And then it was like, they couldn't work for like four weeks or something. And even like, not that they had too much work, but they literally um, did not 
it didn't have the motivation to even work. And it was like, when that happened, um, that was, that was really stressful because, you know, it, I had many writers, but there was, um, but that was when I realized how much I needed to have several writers that had similar styles because, um, you know, cause I assigned a writer to certain clients and then I'm like, okay, I've got many writers, you know, we always have a writer we can go to, but then I've got a client that actually we need this writer to do it. Um, and they would kind of fall off the wagon. They wouldn't reply. They became, you know, not reliable. And obviously we can no longer work with them, but then it was like a style as you hit in a, a style need. And so that is where I added, of course, not only having multiple illustrators, designers, writers, but the style having very similarities where the uh, another writer could take over and it would really be seamless for a client. Because the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wait, wait, what happened to our style here? You know, like, you know, and them being versatile enough to take on and say, okay, this is what's been going on let me take over. So to me, there's two sides of that coin. It's the availability as well as um, the having the multiple of the style. And of course, that might be more prevalent in my industry and in branding and marketing, because it's, it's such a creatives kind of thing, but kind of uh, atmosphere. But that is where um, I found that to be the biggest problematic, but that was the best solutions. And ever since then, I've kept that really open and, and um, in style and in multiple trade um, in that particular trade. And it's really made things a lot smoother. Yeah. And it's one of those things like, um, so knowing that, okay, so two of the things that you were really looking for was the style can they, is, does the style that you want to put in front of your clients, the end thing match what they're producing in their portfolio? So yes, you know, that they can come and do the work that is going to match the brands of what your clients hired you for. But then the other thing that I think would be important when you're looking for those contractors is asking questions and specifically that test their ability to pick up work that was started by somebody else. And, and that's like, one of the things like, you know, when you're going to hire people is you have to sometimes think about what could potentially happen or what do you know happens and let's test their ability. Do, have they done this? Do they have the skill sets? Because there's going to be some people out there that you maybe have encountered them where they don't want to jump in, in the middle of a project and help something out. They want to start things from scratch. They don't have, they, they're not, you know, they see something and it's like, okay, this was great, but I could have done it a lot better and just want to change everything versus like just keeping things going. So you want to make sure that you find the person who can work with what you need them to do. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. And that also, um, what comes up for me when you say that is that, um, we also look, always looking where your gap is in needs. Uh, because I have found where, you know, I'm looking at what team we have currently and uh, seeing where everybody's strengths are, that look of strengths and like, okay, but what, what strength are we missing? You know, what, what is the opposing uh, abilities we could be bringing in even? Um, And that also strengthens our ability to provide what we need for our clients and expand what we can provide. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah. Cause it's always one of those things. Like I know um, it's been talked a little bit about this podcast before. If I think back of episode, I think it was 13 with Jenny Schubring. And we always talk about with that, you need to focus on your strengths and not try to get better at your weaknesses. So contractors and team members and everything can help fill in those weaknesses. There are things that are needed for your projects to be successful, for your service offerings to be successful with your client, and you're not the right person for it. So how do you give them what they need without overwhelming yourself, trying to be good at something that you're not good at? And it's bringing in that help that that is their strength. That is what they do. And, you know, looking at your team, the rest of your team could be great, but it'd be fantastic if there was this one skill set, this one thing that was added to the mix. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's the, honestly, that's the benefit of having contractors anyway. It really allows you to develop a spicy variety uh, without having the impact of having to have them on as salary. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm wondering with that, and I know this is something that I hear is then contractor loyalty where they feel like, yes, I'm working with this contractor all the time. I'm bringing them in on projects, but then I always feel like I'm the bottom of the barrel out of all the projects that they're working on. Like they're focused on every other business that they're working with first and I'm here or all of a sudden, like the contractor is no longer available because they just get tired of kind of working with, they're focusing on other, other avenues of revenue. How have you kept loyalty strong with your contractors, making them feel, even though they're not a part of your company because they're not an employee, they feel a value. They feel value in the work that they're producing for you. And they want to keep working with you throughout the years. Um, I think honestly, that has a lot to do with recognition, uh, communication, you know, actually caring about them as a person, because I think that people, (laughs) I think people view a lot of times they're contractors. um, And I've heard this happen a lot of times in corporations where contractors are kind of seen like they're just not as important. Um, And, you know, when humans don't feel like they're that as important, they're also going to respond to you in the same way. Basically that I feel that I am equal to my team. It doesn't matter, you know, if they're my regular team, they're a contractor or anything else. I don't see myself above them at all. We are a team. We're there for the same purpose. And I am all about gratitude, recognition, and all of those, you know, all of those EQ qualities that, you know, you should be, um, you should be showering them with because, and, and one thing that's important for me actually is to know what my team members love language is because somebody may, you may give them a lot of words and that doesn't mean anything to them. So, you know, really understanding even how someone receives appreciation. But the fact is, is that be a contractor or a regular staff person, appreciation, recognition, all of those things should be seen as equal. They shouldn't be seen any less. Yes. I love that. And just for a little sneak peek in two weeks, the next guest episode that is going to be out uh, after this one is with Nikki Rouse. She's coming back on the podcast again. And one of the things she's talking about is that whole thing of being able to sell your team to your clients, because sometimes we get into this thing where our businesses, we're doing all the work. It's the us show. And now, oh, I have other people. And how do I sell it that they're 
this team member is the same level as me and at everything. So make sure you tune into that episode in two weeks because Nikki gets a lot of great tips and everything of being able to sell your team. And it goes along with a lot of things that uh, Shell's saying about you're your equal. You don't want to view your team members as less, that they're doing the work instead of you. So it's not as high quality or the client's not getting the same things. It's no, they're getting the same stuff. And because they're doing that work, it's impacting your business in a positive way. You're able to take on more projects. You're able to increase your revenue. You're able to do a lot more because of them. So it's this give and mm-hmm. take of a relationship. And I love that, that you see them as equals and that you focus on them as individuals. What is their love language? What is important to them? Not as necessarily an entire group, but as an individual. So you can build that relationship that's needed. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, also on, on that note of, um, in, uh, the appreciation aspect, I feel that the more that your team, that's the regular team, as well as contractors are engaged with each other and being able to recognize each other creates, it's further helps a culture. So not everything is just coming from you, but there is an actual culture of appreciation and gratitude and equality. No one's seeing anybody above everybody else. Love it. Love it. All right. So this probably goes into a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. So your entire team's virtual, correct? Yes. Yes. So what would you say are some of the best tips to grow a successful virtual team? I would say uh, making sure that you actually are testing people, giving them a, a, a project to work on. Anytime I bring anybody on, I have a project you know, that I've kind of either, I actually have for a client or I've made up, I pay them for their time. Um, and I kind of give them a, a, you know, see how they respond to the project itself. Um, so that is one way that I, I get kind of get that first step, but also making it aware that they are, um, going to be in a trial period. So we're going to have just a few months that we're going to work together. We're going to see if this relationship works because they can be as talented and wonderful and perfect for, you know, any team environment, but that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect for your environment. Um, you know, they could have all the, you know, everything you see is perfect, but maybe just one thing that's just not working and it may be that it's not working with the clients you serve or, you know, they, their, their skill sets kind of oversaturated in your team. So it's good to have them involved in, in the team, involved in projects, but also have that understanding that we're just seeing how this goes. And um, I think that also that allows you to have the opportunity to build a relationship, feel if that is going to be a fluid, with, not only with yourself, but with your team. Um, there's so many so many factors that come into engaging and actually experiencing. And I have in the past, literally not even really interviewed someone very much. I'm just like, let's just see how this goes because I'm about, I'm an experiential person and you could give me all the lines, all the, whatever you want and tell me everything, you know, I want to hear that does not mean I'm going to experience it with you or that it's even real. I'll be real honest there. The, uh, the recruiter part of me is, is cringing a little bit, 
But at the same time, you found a process that works for you. And it is one of those things is not everything works for everybody. So you found a process that works for you and you're able to grow a successful team. Now, some other people, that process is not going to be the same, you know, because they're, they're going to want to do some more like upfront stuff, interviewing and everything before bringing someone in for a trial period. And, and I think it might mean a little bit different when you're working with contractors versus when you're really hiring a full staff of employees. Because if you think like that contractor, as we talked about, they have other clients, they're doing other work, where if there's an employee, especially a full-time employee that you're bringing on, opportunities to maybe do a little more due diligence before you bring them on is great because if they have to leave a full-time job to come work for you and then a few weeks later they're without a job that's a huge impact on them so right now i was correct i was not talking about staff like permanent staff i was talking about contractors (laughs) yes okay good the hiring process for contractors can be a little bit different No, no, that's fine. I just, let's just, I just want to make things clear that like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, obviously. Well, but I, there is plenty of companies that do put people on, on, uh, on trial basis as when they come on as even staff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I agree with you on that. Now, a staff person, that is a whole other, that to me, that is a whole other experience of, um, of seeing, you know, previously how someone's going to work. But one thing that I have always struggled with is I've had to, um, just getting through the, um, the, the practice answers people give you, uh, and really getting to the core of a conversation. So I actually, when I brought on like people who work for me regularly, I, I, I kind of threw them uh, for surprise in how our conversation went because I don't, I like, I want to have a conversation. I don't want to have this formal interview because I don't, I don't feel I'm going to get the real you in that. And until I feel like I'm really getting authentically you, this conversation is not going to be helpful to me considering you uh, to bring you on. Yeah. That's why I always tell people, it's like the worst thing you can do is go out to Google and sit, like do a search. What should I ask during an interview? Or like, even if you're like, what should I ask at an interview for an exposition? Because guess what the candidates are doing? They're going out and finding those questions and they're preparing for them. Like, And most of the questions they're not going to give you, even if a candidate didn't prepare. So you weren't getting a highly rehearsed answer. They're not going to give you any information that's actually going to determine if someone is qualified. Um, yeah. I, I love it when I'm interviewing candidates and they actually say, wow, I never thought of that question or like, that's a really good question. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) you I'm I'm pulling out what I need to know. And I, I hate highly rehearsed answers. Um, And you can see them a mile away. You know, you do interview enough. You can start really detecting it. Um, One thing I did want to say on, on this same topic though, is when you are, when you are looking for people contractor or not look at their social media. And I I know that this has been said to young people, be careful what you're posting on your social media um, because especially if you're a small business, your clients are going to look on their social media. I, it's, it's funny. All my clients follow my regular staff people's social media, but I had interviewed someone a long time ago. Um, and he was for a, for like a marketing assistant type position. And, and he was, I mean, he was great. He was amazing. He was like a, you know, just perfect. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to look at his social media. And he had some, 
pictures that I know I would not want my clients looking at and going, this person works for you. So, you know, that, that is something to take into consideration, not only when you're looking for a job, but when you're bringing on people, see how they're representing themselves in their social media, because it does end up becoming a representation of your company. Right. I will say, I'll just put the HR hat on for a minute there and say, just remind everyone, but be careful sometimes when you're looking at the social media, because um, you can find out things about people that can be seen as a discriminatory basis, basis for your decision. So things about people's religion, sexual orientation, and stuff like that, that doesn't naturally come up in an interview. And those things like age, like stuff like that, that people could then say, well, they found this out about me. I didn't get the job. It must be because they found this out about me. So I always say, walk on the side of caution when you're looking at social media and when you do it, because, um, the rules are for discriminatory things in, in hiring. It doesn't matter how you find out the information. If you use the information in your decision, and it's hard to prove that if you went out and looked at social media and other stuff, like not just social media, that you had this information that you didn't actually use it. So you just always want to be careful. It's just like with asking questions, you can't, if a, if a candidate wants to tell you about their personal life, you can't stop them, but you don't ask about it and you don't ask follow-up questions about their personal life and stuff like that. Be careful, even though, yes, I do agree. It's important. If your clients are going to go out and look at their social media, you need to be prepared for it. If you're a company that stands very firmly for something, and then you find out this person is very firmly against it, it's not going to look right for your brands, but just be cautious. Well, yeah. And this was, this was particular when I gave an example of, he, he literally posts pictures of himself in his tight, tidy whities. So it's not really any of those things you've listed. That's more of just, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Yep. So there are some things that have like nothing to do with any discrimination whatsoever. And, and I am a, we are very much an inclusive and about diversity and such um, in our organization. So, you know, I'm totally with you on that and you do have to be careful. And um, I would hope that people would not even be using those things as ways to decide about people. Um, but you know, the nature of humans, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> but thank you for putting your HR hat on there. Yes. Yes. But then, well, cause we've been talking a lot about contractors. Sometimes for contractors, it is different. There isn't those same discriminatory laws when it comes to hiring contractors and a lot of contractors use their personal social media for business purposes. So that does make it so if you're hiring a contractor that your your clients are going to know that you're working with this contractor, yeah, look at their profiles, look to see what they're putting out there because even though they might be white labeling their services to work with you, your clients can still see who they are and what they put out there and how they yeah. represent themselves as as a business person, as a freelancer, as a contractor. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I really learned that when I, when I noticed how often my clients started following like a writer they were dealing with or whatever. And I'm just like, I have to make sure that they're, you know, really representing, you know, our, our, even though it's their personal account, 
they're allowing, you know, allowing follows from our clients and such. And so, yeah, you just, uh, you always have to make sure that your brand culture is staying intact. Yeah. And that's important. It's one of those things where, um, we've talked about a few times recently on this podcast is hiring for brand culture and what that really means. And, you know, that culture isn't necessarily, oh, we want to go and meet each other up for happy hour on Friday after work. It's about making sure things are aligned with your brand, how you want to serve your clients, how you interact together, how you uh, manage projects and all that stuff that really goes into your company being your company. And it's very important when you're hiring to make sure you bring in the right people that match that brand. So whether as circling back to what we talked about earlier, whether your clients have this designer working on it or this designer, this writer, or this writer, oh, it has to transition in the middle of a project for whatever reason, the client gets the same experience. The client yeah. knows that you're going to give them quality work. The client knows that you're going to feel the same way about deadlines, no matter who's working on that project, that you know they can they can expect the same things from you over and over again, because that's what creates that repeat business. Oh, yeah. The, and deepens a relationship and loyalty. Uh, yeah. Consistency is is everything. Consistency yes. and continuity. Yeah. Sure. All right, Shell. Well, we have to start wrapping up for today. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. Probably the best way to get in touch with me is to just jump on Instagram, uh, Shelvia, C-H-E-A-L-E-V-I-L-L-A, um, and connect to everything um, about me from there. So there's link to Visual Caffeine, um, and as well as you can go to Visual Caffeine's Instagram. Sounds good. All right, Shell. I like to wrap up with the same question with everyone. We've all had leaders or managers that have stood out to us, whether it was in our personal life or in our professional careers. Think about a leader or manager that has really stood out to you and share with us one thing that made them that great leader or manager. Uh, Their willingness to not only um, give their biggest wisdom and their biggest insights or the things that they want to pass on, um, all of the greatness that they know and have learned through the years, passing that on to you and really seeing you as, you know, someone that they don't feel a competition with, but they actually want to feed and, and, um, pour into to help you get into the greatness um, of their, you know, their position as well. And someone who does not see themselves higher than you, that actually works with you as a team member and constantly sees your value and shows you that not through just words, but actions. Yeah. Love it. All right, Shell. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast and for everything that you shared with us about hiring and working with contractors. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, and you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the Growing Your Team podcast so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes and hear all the greatest tips from our guest experts on how you can grow your team so you can scale your business. And if you haven't done so yet, please consider leaving us a review. I would love to hear what you think of the podcast and your review will help other people decide if this is the right podcast for them. So once again, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.